0: Kathy for um, bringing back uh, something that we talked even briefly before service how um, how influenced many of us in the room were um, by um, our pursuit of Jesus and journey with Jesus um, in the last several decades and there was a season where I could sing of your love forever was probably played every week in your youth group or every week in your church and and um, we can hear that piece and say, oh, man, we sang that thing we, until we put it in the ground, right? Like, um, but that's all right. It's good to remember and to reflect and remember. And as I sat through it, I just honestly was thinking of myself um, back in my youth ministry days, sitting in the basements, because that's where we regulate teenagers, you know, to the basement, uh, and, uh, and just spending time with students and singing that song a lot. And what a what a hopeful song it is! I will sing of your love forever. Uh, it's so good. So, uh, good morning. Let's pray, and then we'll uh, jump into what we have this morning. So, Father, as we gather and meet this morning, I pray that we do so with just a great sense of confidence in you, trust in you. God, I really am um, living out of a season of hope, um, living out of a season of... Um, Trust, living out of a season of confidence. Uh, and that is less about anything that I bring to the table and so much more, Jesus, about what you have offered and continue to offer us. What you have for us now and what you have for us tomorrow. Uh, it is an extraordinary, extraordinary gift to be called your friend, Jesus. Father, to be called son, daughter, to belong now and forever, to be um, granted um, a a place at the table by your invitation to live in abundance um, out of your offerings, to live, offer the gift of your generosity over and over and over. Um, It's all good. And um, I thank you for um, the simplicity um, of your offer, Jesus. Come and follow me, you said. Come and follow me. And I thank you for that invitation. I pray that as a church we continue to do that. Um, And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to set a stopwatch, though, that's never interfered with what we do on a Sunday morning. So thank you in the back. I appreciate that. (laughs) Um, This has been an extraordinary season for us at Warehouse. Um, We uh, began a serious transition uh, back in March, uh, February, March-ish, that um, created... um, Uh, all kinds of um, responses, reactions, emotions. It was um, accepting um, that God was speaking in our community, and in doing that um, was calling some of our dear, dear friends to new spaces and new places uh, to continue uh, their ministerial pursuits, their vocational pursuits, um we are um so thankful for Wes and Steph and Nate and Melissa we're so grateful um for their obedience of listening to the spirit um and yet that transition um was um it there there was uh, there was an energy involved there was a cost involved change for some of us is desired but for most of us change can be hard it can be harsh it can be difficult um in the same time, though, of that transition of uh, dear, dear brothers and sisters feeling called away, there was a um, a refreshed sense of what we were being called to here, um, and that was this call from the Spirit of God to root ourselves in his word, to root ourselves in our devotion, to to seek the face of Jesus for revelation, to trust the Holy Spirit as comforter and pointer to the divine, that we would understand that when we talk about vision and mission and purpose here at Warehouse and who are we and where we're going and what are we doing, that it felt very, very clear to myself and to Laurie and to the elders that really what God was impressing on us was, we'll get to the doing, but do you know who you are? Do you understand your being in order for the doing to happen? It felt like Jesus was asking us those fundamental and simple questions of, um, do you surrender? Do you yield? Are you worshiping? Do you, do, are you rooted in text? Do you trust the storyteller unveiling the story? Are you following Jesus? Is Jesus the goal? Is Christ resurrected the goal? Again, we'll, we'll, we'll get to action, but do you know who you are? And it led us to just this challenge of, um, God, what do you have for us in this next season? Decisions were being made in fresh and new ways on a daily, weekly basis. And so when it felt revealed to myself and to my wife, Ann, that um, our calling in the midst of it was to remain here for a season, be it short or medium long, we didn't know. It just felt that we were being called here in this moment. We made this decision about let's just root ourselves for 21 weeks from April to August in the book of John, one chapter a week. And in that, we longed for this idea that God would use the text and use our devotion and our reading and our studying and all of that to reveal to us his wondrous generosity, that he would reveal to us in John Um, mission and vision that he would he would give us clarity about our identity that would come with a sense of conviction too that we would be challenged that we would find courage to surrender to this jesus this extraordinarily beautiful otherly divine human entity And along the way, in the midst of uh, prayers and thoughts and readings and studies and devotions and conversations, the simple breath prayer of breathe in, Jesus loves me, breathe out, it's going to be okay, became this thing. Breathe in, Jesus loves me, breathe out, it's going to be okay, was this thing. And so back in March, let's do 21 weeks of John. It came from a a devotion that staff was reading by Eugene Peterson, who summed up that the purpose of pastoral and vocational ministry, the purpose of church work, ought to be rooted in simple, spiritual, and restful. And our staff was gravitating towards this high call from Eugene Peterson, a friend to pastors, that ministry should be simple and spiritual and restful. So we thought, 21 weeks of John seems pretty simple Seems pretty spiritual. Seems pretty restful. Let's just simplify our next 21 weeks of our yielding and our devotion. Let's bring in a multitude of teachers from inside our community. Let's root ourselves in a singular story, a singular text for a long period of time. Let's slow down. Let's read it slow. Let's read it low. Let's read it slow. Let's read it low. There was an internal wonder. I actually went back and read this document that I would written back in March to all of our teachers about this series and the longings for it and the goals of it. And in that, one of the notes I wrote was this sort of internal wonder of, let's just be open-handed about how God will use 21 weeks of John to influence us. And it was really an afterthought at the time. But that's a continued work of the Holy Spirit in a providential way, for me to write this line down, not really knowing the implications of it, not really understanding why I wrote it, not really understanding how it fit into the story, kind of forgetting that I wrote it until I remembered and went back to it. And in John, we uh, we broke it down into... Um, three sections section one the first seven chapters when we taught this introduction to uh, of this book we took a theological approach and used opportunities each week to talk about not just chapter one chapter two and all of that and the stories that we were telling but also the theology of scripture what is this book how did we get it do we trust it Um, how do we understand it what's the purpose of scripture how does it work how does faith how is faith involved Uh, in our reception of this book. Um, Is it divinely written? Is it humanly written? How does it all kind of work together? What is its purpose? How is it really for our good? What does it mean for it to be a corrective in our life? The second section, verses uh, 8 through 14, were about community. We had three different medium-sized group meetups, and one met in a home in South Charlotte, one met here, and one met at OMB, and we invited friends in from our community to come in to pop in one week or seven weeks and wrestle through together and kind of unpack this in community because John is about community, it's about disciples, it's about family, and that was extraordinarily good for us. The last sections, 15 through 21, we, we participated in contemplative practices here in action here in the large group service. We prayed together, we, we meditated together, we sat still together, we, we cried out to God together, we prayed for neighbors and nations together, we made space in a kinesthetic way to practice our faith, John, later in John 1, 2, and 3, books that he writes later to the church, he uses the verb walking to describe what it means to be in faith. He says, dear church, I am so glad that some of your children are walking in faith. Well, John uses walking because there's this kinesthetic approach to our, to our faith. It's not just what we absorb with our, our minds or what we hear or what we say. There's something about whole body being intertwined and interconnected with this spirit that is so valuable to us. And we trusted that. And we had extraordinary people from our own community teach and lead us through things that were deep in their heart and deep in their beings that needed to get out for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom. And so we say yes and thank you to Melissa Ledbetter who preached for the first time because there is a calling on her life in this new stage of ministry. We thank you to Ashley Flowers, one of the most gifted people that I've ever known in ministry who share so beautifully in such a robust and simplified manner. I am broken and I am desperately in need of a savior. And thank you to Roxanne and her sweet leadership and contemplative nature to lead us like a spiritual parent And for Laura Strahl and Ken and Laura in particular, this call on her life to move to Spain to continue to serve the body of Christ for the advancement of the gospel and to put a call on her life to say, you are gonna have opportunities to teach and to share the gospel in larger groups. So come here for the first time and surrender to that. And to Kurt Graves, who who taught twice in this, because Kurt is so foundational to the leadership and teaching of this community as a sage and as a guide who has walked the path, who was so further down the road than most of us, even myself. And I surrender to that responsive and responsible reading and teaching of the scripture. And to Holly Norton, a gifted and talented leader who so longs to understand what does it mean to be a servant leader and an elder in this church who faithfully teaches. And to Mike Goo, who has been a longtime standing member of our community from youth ministry and now into the mission field in West Charlotte to share what is so deeply passionate in him and this deep conviction to share and teach the text to lead us towards a deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus and to Alan Love. Ah, what a gift Alan and Carla have been. And there's a sadness in that as they're going to at some point be making a move closer to family, but just to feed off this this wise, wise man who leads us into the comfort and trust and the hope of a living Jesus. I could spend the next 30 hours talking about my gratitude for these eight people. What a gift this season has been. What an encouragement it's been. And even beyond that, all of the things that sort of popped out along the way that became these things that we were talking about as I would pass you in Harris Teeter or go out for coffee with you or find you after church or receive texts and emails from you, themes, ideas that were percolating because of this. Obviously, words like generosity. We chose the generous word because in John 1, Eugene Peterson in his translation, the message talks about Jesus and says, and, and, and you know, it's talking about Jesus' incarnation, he says, and then and God took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood, he says, in John 1, uh, in the middle of that section. He became, he, he took on the form and, and lived amongst us, he moved into our neighborhood. And John, uh, Eugene Peterson translates that passage to say, and the word, which is Jesus, is Generous. And it's a gift that we get to live off, gift after gift after gift after gift. But man, did I, I wasn't really ready for the overwhelming abundance of generosity that was percolating. And we began to hear stories of generosity in this church. The word abide. Holly brought us back to this word abide. What does it mean to be so Closely and intimately interconnected with the divine. Beloved, what does it mean to see ourselves as the loved child of the Father? Words like follow, surrender, yield. Melissa helping us with the word worship. What does it mean for us to be true worshipers in spirit and truth? Is that really our truest form of response once we understand our being and our identity? If we are in Christ, with Christ, always, covenantally, is our response to worship, to bring worth, to ascribe worth, the word abundance, complete, full, the word withness. Now, this is a funny word. This is a word um, that, um, that we, we make up when we talk um, about uh, what it means to be part of a collective. What does it mean to be in Koinonia community with one another? What does it mean to be with neighbors and nations? And there's one more word that I made up, and it's called inness. And it's not a word, but it's the best I could come up with. And, I went to public school, so that's about as far as I got in my vocabulary. So uh, if, it, if you don't know it, just make it up. So uh, I'm gonna talk a little bit more about this notion of in-ness in a minute, in a minute, but there's more. And so when we began, we, opened, we began like this. And we said, God, what do you have before us? Do you remember that prayer we prayed in the beginning? We prayed that when we first gathered with elders, with staff, when we sat up here on the stage with our, our brothers, Wes and Nate, and we prayed that prayer, what do you have before us? What is the vision and mission that you have for Warehouse 242 in this next season? What is, what is it that you want to reveal to us? Holy Spirit, help us to not outpace you as we move In simple terms, what is our purpose? What is our purpose? And I believe deep in my heart that 21 weeks of John has been so importantly and intricately woven in to this season of simple, spiritual, and restful to launch us into what's next. And we're going to take the next three Sundays, starting next week, in a series that we're calling Root Down for all the right reasons. All right, well, you guys will Google that and figure it out later. It, there you go. There's my boy in the back. You get, you get free coffee after church today. So where uh, um, we're, we're going to trust what God's been revealing to us. But I want to kind of sit with something as we launch into what's next. Um. I want to sit with something, and I'm going to tell you this, I I struggled with this, Kurt, because, and those of you are online, Kurt's just sitting right here, uh, because I, I thought that your period at the end of the sentence last week was so righteous, that we are the generous word, and I don't want to forget that, um, and I think it's really, really important, and if you haven't listened to Kurt's sermon last week, please go back and do that. It was so good and so hopeful about what's next for us, but th- there's, there's a line in, in the, at the end of chapter 20, which is we did two weeks ago, um, that has kind of stuck with me, and in talking to Bill Morgan this week, John kind of helps us with his own purpose of this book. It's funny, I never asked myself the question, why did John write the book? I asked the question, what do you have for us because of the book? When we got to the end of chapter 20, we didn't preach or teach on this little passage. We did something earlier in chapter 20, verses 1 through 8 and 9. This is kind of stuck with me. And it says this in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. This is at the end. This is like post-resurrection meets uh, Thomas touching his side, seeing the resurrected Jesus in the upper room. It, there's this point where John almost concludes it. And some theologians think that maybe John did conclude it here. But then an addition was made probably by him for various reasons why there was an intent for John chapter 21. But he makes this little statement here, he says this. It says, so Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciple, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, let's just leave this up for a minute. It says that Jesus performed many. So the first thing that we have to see in this passage is that there is an abundance of story an account and experience of Jesus so much. At the end of John chapter 21, when he goes one more, he says, there's not enough paper and pencil in the world. There are not enough books and libraries in the world to account for everything that he did because there is an abundance. And that word many ought to inspire us for what's next because there's always more in Jesus. There is an endless Amount of goodness and hope and love and mercy and forgiveness in Jesus. It never ends. It is a well that never, ever empties. There is so much more in Jesus. I came to an understanding when I was in middle school that the purpose for following Jesus was clearly in the moment to save yourself from um, what would happen to you when you died. I miss the idea that there's more for me every day with every breath. That the reception of Jesus as my hope and my Savior and Messiah isn't about a forever world, it, 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 it's that, but it's about the next breath that I get, that the divine is in and with me and for me, and that I get to live and breathe in the presence of the Spirit now and forevermore. There is many in Jesus. There is much and if we put our eyes on the world, it is an empty, empty cistern. But there is much in Jesus. And it says he performed many other signs. One of the ways that we can break down the book of John is that there are seven signs, seven miracles that, he, that Jesus performs. This is wildly thought of and taught about how we break down the book of John. He turns water into wine. He cleanses the temple. He heals um, um, uh, the nobleman's son. He heals the lame man. He feeds the multitude. He heals the blind man and he raises Lazarus. These seven signs that language is used to describe what he's doing is kind of like, it's like when you're walking down a, when you're on a trail and there's a post that tells you where you're going. It's a sign to let you know where you are and where it's going. Jesus is revealing his divine nature and his power over creation in his righteousness as the righteous just God and that his ability to heal and resurrect the dead to feed the multiples to provide basic needs to um, to to peel back the scales of, of of blinded eyes to give us eyes to see to give us life and life abundantly Jesus does these signs and even we have seven recorded in John and maybe John uses seven because seven's a great number to totally give you the completed fullness and there's so many more and all that means is that jesus Jesus continues in the story and if the real Jesus is there then doing the story, that means he's doing the story now and there are signs and wonders in my life in which bring me back to an abundant life. There are signs and wonders in my life that he peels back the scales of my blindness and gives me eyes to see. Tears the stone uh, structure of my heart to give me a heart of flesh. that, That takes away my own stubbornness and my own sin and my own selfishness and own ego to see what's happening in the world to make me available to be a proclaimer of the good news of Jesus. And he gives us many and he gives us signs. But these are written so that the word "so that" in Greek is this thing called is this word called hina, and hina is a clause in Greek. And if you use the word hina in a sentence, you're saying it's 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 a statement of cause. It's a statement um, to, that, that, uh, of um absolute cause of why you're writing it. And the hina clause says here, I'm writing that. For exact purpose. This John is not fooling around, is not open to speculation. It is not, this is my truth, you have your truth. None of that stuff. No, this is reality. I'm writing this for this singular purpose that you would believe in the name of Jesus. It just isn't like, oh, I believe that Jesus had a name. No, 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 no. That's not what he's talking about. Believe is about surrendering and yielding the totality of your life to a resurrected Messiah and King and governor of the universe. Savior of your soul, forgiver of your sin, and that you would believe in the name of Jesus, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That the sole purpose of John is that you would see, believe, yield, surrender, become a worshiper, and have the most abundant life ever given in the history of the cosmos because of Jesus, and it would all be done in him. There's an inness of Jesus. And I think that the calling of Jesus in this season of 21, now 22 weeks, is really to lead this towards this place that we understand that if if Jesus said, um, if if the whole goal of Jesus was, hey, after this, after I die and I resurrect, I'm going to come near you. That would be good. I'm going to come at you. That would be okay. I'm going to come next to you. That would be amazing. I'm going to go before you. Thank you. I need a guide. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. In, in, John 17, the Father and the Son and the Spirit are so deeply and intimately woven into each other. And the invitation is to join them in that inness, this covenantal forever bond that we get to be in Jesus and Jesus in us, in the Father and the Father in us in the spirit not next to not alongside not no in what a holy absurd generous gift and the whole purpose is that you would believe in and live in the name of Jesus to feed off that well that cistern of life and abundance and generosity gift after gift after gift, after gift, after gift, and when we live in Jesus, it radically affects how we live out for Jesus. If we skip being and go right to doing, we're gonna burn out. There will be no root and no source. We will, we will, we will die on that vine because we've separated our inness and went right to doing an action. And that energy is going to get low and we're going to burn out. But Jesus says, come and follow me. Join me. Be in me and me and you so that and if we're asking the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow the mission of Jesus? What does it mean for us a church to understand who we are in the name of vision and mission and purpose? Well, one great question that Bill Morgan asked me last week is, well, what was the mission of Jesus? And I came up with 11 things, and I'm going to read these really quick. They're not going to be on the slide. I wasn't intending to do this, but I just added it. And, uh, but we'll unpack this maybe more in the next few weeks. But I think Jesus said, I want you to abide in me in love and in friendship. I think I want you to, and this is Jesus, what he did, and then the invitation for us to join it. And Jesus did abide in the Father's love. He did surrender to the will of the Father. With every breath, he did love. He did serve out of his gifts. He did befriend all, especially the undervalued. He did invite people to follow. He did call people to repent. He did develop disciples. He did stand up against injustice. He did take care of the poor and the powerless. And he forgave. And he forgave. So be in Christ who did these things. Inness. And I think it's inness. I think it's a holy radical Gift. Later in John, uh, I'm sorry, first, second, and third John. John's going to write these letters to the church even after he wrote the book of John. And as a staff, we've been reading some first and second, and third John devotionally at staff meetings over the last couple months, along with a Pete Scazzaro book on discipleship. But we've done this intermittently. And as I read this, and I read John progressing on this theology of inness, he starts in the gospel. He names it in John 17. He invites us at the end of John 20, but look how he progresses towards his word in. Just look how many times in 1 John 2 and 3 and 4 we're going to read where the word in appears. It says this, and now dear children, continue in him. Not at him, not near him, not alongside him, not behind, before, above, but in him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded to us. Love flows out of our inness. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know by the Spirit he gave us who lives in us. Let's go to the next one. Next slide, there we go. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And so if Jesus is in us and us in him and we're living in him and we live in him into the world, then the world sees God's love. That's extraordinary. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledged that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us for God is love and whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. I'm not making this up. I think John's purpose is to teach us about inness, and inness lasts last now and into the forever world. And there's enough juice and energy and water in that well to last you a lifetime. There's enough juice and energy in that well to give you your next breath, to engage the world that's falling apart and give you hope and give you a future. There's something beautiful and extraordinary about the inness of God. I think Jesus has been calling us, his local church, from the beginning to be in him and he and them, in order to be Christ to neighbors and nations. I think God's calling us to be rooted in the power that comes from inness, the kingdom that flows from inness, the divine intimate covenant relationship that is the centrality of inness, to, to trust and live by the generous encouragement of the Spirit who is in, in order to understand the love that God has for us and in us that flows out of us. And we could say our goal and purpose in life is to live out the ways of Jesus. I think our goal and purpose of life is to live in the ways of Jesus. There's something beautiful and extraordinary about this simple call and simple ask. And what we're leaning into, what we're gonna be able to unpack for you over the next few weeks is when we talk about vision and mission, we're talking about what does it mean to live in Christ and Christ in us in order that his kingdom flourish. Christ in us and us in Christ in order that we may know love in order to give love. That we would know where our energy and source is. That we would trust the revelation of the Spirit. And that we would begin, if we haven't yet, to trust the story and trust the storyteller. To know that God's not running 100 miles ahead of us yelling to follow him. He is in us, pushing us along within. All for his glory and not for our own something beautiful about being in Jesus. I'm just, man, it's going to be good. Jesus loves me. It's going to be good. And when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, and we talked about this in the book of John, he gathered them to celebrate this feast, this feast of the Passover, in which God was faithful, faithful to save his people in the midst of the most horrific and challenging circumstance of the, of the, of the, of the, of the life of the Israelites. And there was a meal that came out of that Passover story of Moses and the Israelites thousands of years before Jesus. And the Israelites, the Jews would celebrate this meal and there were pieces that they would eat along the course of the meal. And there was bread and there was wine as part of the meal. And in the midst of it, Jesus said, I want you to take this bread that's used to talk about the salvation of God's people and I want you to go back to that story and I want you to see how I'm fulfilling it. And I want you to take this bread that I break for you. And this bread is like my body. And my body is going to be broken when I go to the cross in a couple days. And a body needs to break. And I'm going to do it so you don't have to pay that penalty. And when you eat the bread, I want you to remember what I've done for you. I want you to return to me. I want you to remember me. I want you to confess before me that which violates our relationship, and then give me the space to say, I love you, you're forgiven, I love you, you're forgiven. I want you to take this and eat it in. <laughs> this is a symbol of our inness with God. And later in the meal, he took wine. And he had these really sweet little plastic cups. And he later in the meal, he took wine and poured it and said, I want you to return to this. I want you to remember this. The wine is a symbol of blood for the sacrifices of sins, but there's no blood in the history of the universe that can forgive you ultimately and perfectly except for my blood, Jesus said. So this wine is the new covenant jesus was saying i'm going before you to shed my blood as a remission for your sins that's how much i love you the greatest generosity is that jesus willfully gave up his life to save you and to restore your relationship with the father and he said so i'm going to go spill my blood and when you drink this wine i want you to remember i want you to return i want you to confess and i want you to make space And when you drink it you drink it in because there's an inness of the divine that is so far good